Royce, hello and welcome back to another Villa on Tour podcast with myself, Max Stokes and Simon Lyons. So we'll get straight into it, mate. You got this weekend out of your system or are you still a little bit annoyed? No, I'm okay. You don't want to lose games, but you know, it happens, doesn't it? When you're a mid-table side like we are, it happens. And so, yeah, it's it's out of my system. Yeah, spot on. You're going to have inconsistencies, aren't you? It's going to be a slow slow process. We all expect that. But some of the mistakes we'll come on to. It was a bit of a horror show at the weekend. Uh, most podcasts we've done have been pretty positive, apart from the Stevenage one. But today, we're going to be chatting about a mistake-heavy loss at Villa Park. It was a chance to get into the top 10 as well. Leapfrog, your likes of Liverpool and Chelsea. And it was a big chance. It was a really big chance. And as well as that, my local non-league side, Redditch, lost 7-2 at the weekend. So local non-league side and Villa conceded 11 between them on Saturday. So a bit of a disaster class at the weekend. And of course, like you said, we'll be discussing Man City as well and all the stuff that's come out with them today. We'll get into that as well. So plenty to chat about, but let's get straight into it. So I think most people were pretty positive going into the game, weren't they? I don't know if it was a hint of complacency. I mean, I was speaking to Leicester fans in the pub before and they were very negative. Like they were saying how poor they They've been, they've got a tough run of fixtures coming up and they really weren't feeling it going into the game against Villa. But I don't know, you said you'd be disappointed if we didn't win, didn't you? And, you know, like I said, it's it's, it's going to take time. It's going it's to be a slow progress. We're not going to win every week. That five wins out of seven run, that's not going to continue because if it did, we'd be second in the league. So it's going to take time and obviously you're going to get inconsistencies. But Saturday was just one of them, wasn't it? Mistakes will happen. I did say before the game that I would be disappointed if we lost, but... I also said to my um, I said to my brother before the game on Saturday, I went, it all sort of feels set up for us to lose today, though, doesn't it? Like, you know, we've been on a really good form. Everyone's sort of expecting us to win. Leicester have come in here with, you know, dreadful form since since we resumed after the World Cup. Um, obviously, Chelsea dropped points the previous night. Uh, and then as it happened uh, on Saturday, Liverpool dropped points as well by uh, losing away at Wolves. And so it kind of felt set up for us to lose. And... Villa did what Villa do best, really, don't they? And uh, every time that every time that someone's confident, we uh, we come out and and we lose a game. But yeah, it's uh, as I think as you said, it was going to be hard pressed to keep up that run for for a long time. I think most, but I think most people expected us to probably win Saturday and then um, and then sort of you know drop points against Man City and Arsenal upcoming. And so it was a, it was a bit of a surprise, I suppose, to, to to some people. But as I said, though, I think. It's part and parcel of being a sort of mid-table, sort of inconsistent team. It's going to happen. And I always say everyone can beat every, everybody else in the Premier League. And I think that showed on the weekend, didn't it? With, you know, Chelsea dropping points, Liverpool getting hammered at Wolves, and then Man City losing again, Arsenal losing uh, at Everton. And so it does happen. It'd be nice to win every week. But as we know, the Premier League's not like that. And it's definitely not like that being a Villa supporter. So, yeah, it's one of them. Yeah, going into this game, there were sort of similar shades to going into the Wolves game. Do you remember where... People were pretty confident going into that one and it didn't turn out to, to go that way and Wolves arguably could have won that game. So it, it was one of them. It potentially could have gone either way, to be fair. But going into the game, team news, Luca Dean comes back in, doesn't he? McGinn run, uh, returns to the bench. Duran comes onto the bench. Nothing really too much out of the ordinary was there. Obviously, Moreno drops out. Not really too fussed about who starts out of Dean and Moreno, but we'll come on to them, chatting them in a little bit. I think after the game, Unai Emery makes a big deal out of talking about connecting with the supporters. He seems to do that after every single game, which I like. The first thing he mentioned in, in his post-match interview was talking about the supporters and another early goal. And that's the best way to do it, isn't it? Another early goal, switching it to going towards the hole in the first half. What do you make of that? Because people still boo, but you've got to say to yourself, more times than not, it works, doesn't it? It doesn't. It does initially, I suppose. But I, I'd argue then it can sometimes work the other way, though. And if you're chasing, if you're chasing a game sort of in the second half or you you know I feel like 
it's a little bit of a disadvantage if you're not shooting towards the whole ten in the second half. And so it can work both ways. I suppose you're right in terms of early goals, it has worked for us. But I think too often, more often than not this season, far too often this season, um, we've we've scored a goal and we've um, and we've and we've conceded one pretty much straight after it. We tend to have this weird patch in a game as well sometimes where if we concede one, we'll concede we'll concede two within mm. a few minutes as well, which absolutely nails us and to be honest with you on Saturday it was probably our well it was it was our it was our it was what did us in the end because you know go, going into the break three you know conceded three goals at home it's hard to, it's hard to come back from that you know it's, if, a, if a team scores three against you they they would usually win the game yeah I just think it brings a little bit of a disadvantage in the second half if we're not shooting towards the halt and we are sort of um, chasing the game I mean the Wolves game was a prime example when uh, we were shooting towards the halt in the second half. We had, had we'd had a poor first half, if you remember, uh, shooting towards the halt in the second half, and the fans sort of got behind the team, and we were sort of pushing them on, and then Danny Ings got the equaliser, obviously, which got us that point. And so, I think it can work both ways, if I'm being honest. Yeah, pros and cons in terms of those early goals. You've got the three 0 inside 14 minutes against Brentford, uh, Bailey and Dean against Man United, Bailey against Southampton, Watkins at the weekend against Leicester. So it's a nice habit to get into, especially if you can p- protect a lead, though. And we haven't really done that, especially at home. I think I don't know about you, but I feel more comfortable taking a lead away from home because I trust us more to get over the line away. Whereas at home, I think it's one win in five if you if you include the Stevenage game. I don't know, just at home, I feel we're a little bit more lax, maybe a little bit more complacent at home. I just think away, I trust us a little bit more. Are you are you along the same sort of sort of line with that? I kind of think that the players we've got at the moment are better suited to us playing away from home, and I think it's because we be- we're I think we're better off the ball than we are on the ball. If I'm being honest, and obviously at Villa Park against teams that are lower than you in the league, the onus is on you to sort of you know control the ball, control the game, and take the take the game to the opposition, and the fans expect wave and wave after uh, of attack after attack. But I think our form at Villa Park's not great, is it? And I think we we really struggle to control games. I don't mean in terms of controlling the ball, because we do control the ball, but I mean in terms of controlling the ball and being quite resolute at the back. I feel like we leave quite a lot of open gaps in the middle of the park and uh, teams can take advantage of us, which again, like they did on Saturday, really. That will probably change as time goes on. Obviously, Emery's only had his one transfer window and he's only just brought in you know, a young striker and and a left back, and so as time goes on, he'll get he'll get players he wants in to sort of play in the positions that he wants. Players that are more comfortable in playing on the ball, etc. Would have thought, um, and you'll probably see a, a reversal. Would have thought next season you'll probably see being better at home. We sort of fixed our away form, which was uh, our Achilles heel for quite a while. Um, but it seems to have gone the other way in terms of our home form. And as I keep saying, again, for us to be successful, for us to be top half and pushing for Europe, we've got to sort that home form out because um, it's not good enough at Villa Park, especially in terms of results and in terms of performances. I mean, even when we have won, we beat Leeds, but we weren't great at Villa Park again. We were quite fortunate that night to, to get the win. Um, and I think you, you have to go back... To, to that Man United game, really, to when things when we actually had a really good sort of home performance. Yeah, I think you're right. Over time, I think you'll probably see it level out a little bit. But in terms of this game, we go one nil up, don't we? Again, ninth minute with Ollie Watkins comes from Wendy, who I thought at the weekend was actually so much better. I thought Wendy had a very, very, very good game, involved in quite a lot. That initial shot hitting the crossbar from where I sat, I didn't know if it went in or not. Obviously, looking back on it, it was nowhere near. Um, especially after Wendy went off the other way celebrating to Ollie Watkins, I thought he might have been his goal. Um, but unfortunately. Unfortunately not, but it's an excellent finish from from Watkins, isn't it? I didn't appreciate it at the time, 
But watching it back, it's sort of like a weird little karate kick, isn't it? It's a great finish following in from uh, Buendia's shot. A little bit like uh, Tottenham away, the goal where Watkins following in, being that first one to react. And at Tottenham, it was obviously Buendia who scored, but he's always off the mark quick and ahead of that centre-back. And that's so important because goals like that where you're following in can get you two or three a season. Happy days, but it's a great finish, isn't it? Yeah, I thought it was a great goal all round. I think Buendia did really well driving towards driving towards goal and getting his shot away. And it was a great effort. Obviously, cannoned off the bar. There was nothing the keeper was going to do about that one. Um, and then Watkins just just reacted really quickly, didn't they? Ahead of any of the defenders, the keeper couldn't get up in time. Um, and it was a great finish, just over the keeper's head. It was a it was a lovely finish, really. And so, um, yeah, it was a, it was a great start, really great start. And um, I think Villa were, were sort of rewarded for how they started the game, really, really on the front foot and just taking the game to uh, to Leicester really early on. Um, but no, it was it was it was a really really. Top top goal and Ollie Watkins is in a little bit of form at the moment, which yeah I'm really 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 happy about. You've got to give credit to him; he's, he's playing really well at the moment, working hard, and he's and he's getting amongst the goals. He's getting amongst the goals and the assists, which is is exactly what you want. Mate, I thought he was incredible at the weekend. I thought he was our best player by far, Ollie Watkins. I thought he was so good, and whether that's come from sort of. Danny Ings going out and all the faith being in Ollie Watkins, I'm not sure, but I thought he was absolutely excellent at the weekend. And just touching on that first goal as well, I think even before it gets to Buendia, Bailey's early trickery, his early flair that he shows in games quite often, obviously like I touched on earlier with the early goals that he's had. He always seems to start games quite fast, doesn't he? And, you know, with that confidence of taking it to a fullback and running and, like I said, that flair. But I don't know what it is, but it seems to disappear as the game continues. Do you feel that as well? I don't know whether that's just me, but especially towards the end of games, he just kind of seems to go missing and he ends up being taken off. But he always starts bright and we know he can... I've said it before, we know he can do it, Leon Bailey. And I think hopefully Traore can give him that kick up the arse because Bailey is currently the only winger at the club. So Traore coming in might give him that kick, but it's a frustrating one again with Leon Bailey. I think that second sort of striker that he's playing in Emery system, I think that second striker does a lot of running though. If you look at Bailey, he's, he's on the move all the time though and I think I think it's only natural really that you get to 70 odd minutes and he probably is not as, he's probably a bit tired, he's probably not as on it as he would be right at the start of the game. I think it's that position. If you do watch him, if you do watch him around the pitch, he gets around so much. He's always running in that position all, all the time, tracking back, getting forward, like, you know, bursting on the counter attack. It's always him that's leading it. And so I kind of get it. I do kind of get it. And I and I get where the, there is frustrations. I understand. And, I, you know, he's, he's constantly using that one foot of his. He doesn't ever want to go on his other foot. And I get the frustration of the fans. He's a bit inconsistent. Um, he's a bit in and out of it. But he's a typical winger, though, if you ask me. And yeah, maybe you'd maybe you'd expect more out of a thirty thirty million pound player, whatever we paid for him. But I I think he does need it. I think he does need to kick up the backside as well. I think he needs that competition. Um, hopefully, try away will provide it. And if not, obviously, I'm sure that will be a I'm sure that'll be a, t- a target for the summer anyway. I think he does need that competition. But I think he's been quite important for Villa though this season. If I'm being honest with you, and I. And I know fans. I know fans get frustrated, but I just think if you look look at his overall contribution, you'd still rather have Leon Bailey in the team than have him out of the team. Yeah, I guess I think, like you said, I've talked about Troy Ray as well. He gets numbers, Bailey. He gets numbers, goals, and assists, and that's that's what you want from your winger. What do you think Troy Ray is going to bring to this situation then? Because obviously they're both typical right-sided players, both very heavily left-footed. Do you think one of them will shift to the left-hand side? I personally probably can't see that maybe at some point but from the start do you think Troy Ray is going to be that player to come off the bench as a you know reliable impact sub or is, is one of them going to move out to the left-hand side because I can't see both of them playing at the same time purely because of how similar they are I'd be highly surprised if Troy Ray starts games for us unless Bailey's injured to be honest with you I think he'll be 
a player off the bench uh, to bring on uh, later on in the game when we're you know we're chasing a game or if we're trying to see a game out. I don't I don't see him as being a starter, and I I'd be, I'd be surprised if Emery does see him as a starter. I mean, for number one, we've got to get him fit first. As I mentioned, yeah, that was we've, we've got to get him fit and keep him fit because he's had absolute rotten luck, hasn't he? In the last well last season, he had terrible injuries for us, and so we've got to get him fit. Um, I don't see him, I'd be honest, I don't see him playing a major part, to be honest with you. I think he'd be a good option to have off the bench. He'd be a good squad player to have again. Um, I don't see him playing a major part. And I, and I still, I wouldn't be starting Troy Ray ahead of Bailey, if I'm being honest. I think if we talk about Bailey goes missing out of games and Troy Ray's, I'm not yeah. saying he's not a good player, but I think Troy Ray goes missing even more. And of course, after we go 1-0 up, we're falling into old habits, aren't we, by conceding straight away. I'm going to be interested to hear what you have to say on this goal because it's fairly similar to what happened against Stevenage with the Dendonka thing where Olsen passed it to him, obviously, on, on the edge of the box. Kind of a bit of a messy situation, obviously. I think it was Jewsby Hall that nicks off Kamara in this situation. Who do you blame? Obviously, I think it's it's mostly got to be on Kamara, but I've seen some people defending Martinez and some people blaming him. Look, I think the thing the thing to point out first of all is that the the passing the ball out from the back it's here to stay. That's how Unai Emery wants to play, um, and we're in the very early stages of it, so we're very likely to make a few errors at the moment uh, until the players become more used to it, or until he brings in other players that are going to be more suited to playing that way. That's that's just how it is. I mean, we've gone from us playing pretty turgid under Gerard and previous to, to playing like this. And so it's not all going to be remedied within seven or eight games, is it? I mean, that's number one point to make. On the, on the goal, on the equaliser, I think if you look at the still image before Martinez passes it, the pass wasn't on. And I think, I think, I think, and I think this, is my, this is my issue with it, is that I, I'm all for it. I'm all for passing out the bat. But you've got to do it when the time's right, though. And when the time's yeah. not right, you need to get rid of the ball. And, I, and as I said about Olsen against Stevenage, just keep the ball down the pitch and we don't concede that goal. And say the same about Martinez on, on Saturday, if I'm being honest. I mean, I mean, he doesn't even need to kick it down the pitch. If you have a look at the still image, he's got Mings towards his left. He's got Konza towards the right. Both of them who haven't got anybody on them. So if you really did still want to pass it out, you have got that option. But passing it to Kamara was just suicidal because you had you had like one, you had at least one or two players on him, um, and then obviously Kamara receives the ball, um, and then he evades the challenge, the first challenge, just about, and then you think, okay, just get rid of it now. He had, he had nothing on to be fair to him; he had absolutely nothing on to so just just clear it. It's fine. All right, we'll lose the ball, but we can regroup and go again. And yet, instead, he tries to be a little bit clever. He tries to beat the man again, which normally Kamara is very good at. To be fair mm. to him. He doesn't need to be doing it in that position, though. It's, a, it's re- very risky, isn't it? I don't think it helps either, though, because he um, he received the ball, Kamara, and you look at Mings and Conson, they didn't really provide him with any sort of space to be able to pass it, though, either. And I, there, there was a few things with that goal for me. There was a few things, but started with the goalkeeper. We should have just cleared the ball. Yeah, I think at times we were very slow around the back, building it out, we were very slow. And you're right, though, Kamara does get past Dewsbury Hall initially. Like, he does the hard work. It's just the fact he's got nothing on it. It doesn't quite happen. I think Watkins has a horror miss as well after that, doesn't he? An absolutely shambolic miss. And I said he had a fantastic game, but that miss was an absolute stinker. Uh, a couple of minutes after that, obviously, we do go 2-1 up with a Harry Suter own goal. It's a very lucky one. Comes from a nice little triangle between Wendy and Dean and Watkins, though. I think they were pretty decent down that left-hand side in the first half. Already talks about how good I thought Watkins was. He was fantastic. Fantastic. But again, pretty soon after, 2-2, Leicester respond. And this goal is, again, an, an absolute stinker. I think Mings initially clears the Harvey Barnes cross, but then it comes straight back in and we think, oh, we've cleared the danger. But people just don't react and don't respond. And I've never seen a striker in so much space. From my view, I was, th- I was thinking, who? there's absolutely nobody near him. And I'm sick of watching Ian Nacho score at Villa Park. He must have 
five or six goals at Villa Park. I remember him as a youngster scoring a hat-trick in the FA Cup for Man City, scored in the Cup semi-final, was it? Got another one today. You can see it coming, can't you, with the likes of Vardy, Ian Acho, who love a goal against the Villa. But in terms of that goal, it's an absolute shambles again. Yeah, he, he loves playing against the Villa, doesn't he? I think uh, he's. I feel like we always have these players though that they're like records. They score the most goals against uh, one club. It's, it's Villa, sort of thing. You see this stat every week, don't you? Once well, time. again, this week though, I saw it. Rodri has scored more goals against the Villa than anyone else. You're right yes. there every week. There's one every week, but <laughs> again, the goal. I think there was a few things wrong with it. Again, I was like, obviously, Mings clears the ball. Um, it goes back out to the to the to, to the wing, and then we're very slow to come out. I mean, there's Ashley Young over there, and there's another player over. There. I can't remember who that was now, but the two players over there. One was definitely Ashley Young, and we don't do much to stop the cross, do we? We sort of we sort of just let it come in, and then the problem was then at the back because Mings had cleared it. We were a little bit at sixes and sevens because we weren't we we hadn't got our sort of um, our sort of line correct at all, and there was that massive gap appeared. And obviously Dean was at the far post. It was sort of Ming's position as well because he was a little bit out of position from clearing it. Um, and then they were all appealing for offside, and it was nowhere near offside. You could tell that we'd had a bit of a mare at that point from sort of. Uh, organising the defence again after Mings' clearance, it wasn't it wasn't great defending all round. But I always say, just 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 you know, sh- show show him on his wrong foot, show him on the outside. You mm. know, don't don't show him the inside, and that's what we did. And it was just far too easy to get that cross in for me. You know, we we showed good character again. You know, we'd conceded the goal, which was a mistake for us to make it one one. We got back in at two one, and then you think, all right, okay, now sort of sort of settle down. You know, sort of settle the defence down and. And then we do that again, and it's so, so frustrating. It is frustrating. And you know what? I, you, it's, it was a bit of a wild half, wasn't it? You don't often see halves where there's four-plus goals, and you'd probably go in at half-time and think, OK, 2-2, two, two, bit of a wild half. Mistakes happen, but we'll re- reset at half-time. A couple of changes, we go again. But the third goal, it makes all of that very difficult, doesn't it? I mean, it comes from Kamara again, wanting too much time on the ball, a few bad touches. He wanted a foul. I could see from where I was sat, it wasn't a foul. Throwing his arms up, it wasn't a foul. It's a nice ball through. And the new lad, Tete, who they've signed on loan from Shakhtar Donetsk, um, goes around the keeper and it's 3-2. And at that point, you're thinking, how on earth have we managed to throw this away from, again, another silly, silly mistake? You're right. It was it was all down to a really poor touch from Kamara. A really, really poor touch. And that's what that's what started it off. Obviously, he then appealed for a foul and he lost the ball. Um, and then, again, the bat line wasn't greatly organised again. I think you see me, Mings and Dean, yeah, just all over the shop at this point. Um, they clearly weren't anticipating Kamara losing the ball. They weren't alert. It was just far too easy, wasn't it? It was just, he wins the ball back, you know, not long after over halfway, and then there's one ball and he's in, and it's a goal. And it's just... How many times did we get caught, though, with the weekend? Balls over the top. It just it just felt like every single time. Do you remember when we played Liverpool, we beat them 7-2? Like, every time we put a ball over the top, it worked. It kind of felt like that. Just every time they put a ball around the side or over the top, they'd get on the end of it. And I know about five or six times it was offside, and the lino, again, I hate linos, they just don't put that flag up even though it's obvious mm. it just seemed like every time they were able to do it and it was frustrating to watch because again you can see what's going to happen sometimes yeah but we play a high line under Emery though and we have since he's come in and so that is going to happen from time to time to be honest it is going to happen uh, until we again until we work more on the training ground and um, get used to it more I think it will happen because we do play a very high line we, we catch teams out offside quite a lot if you watch it and mm. there was no it was no different on, on Saturday again at Villa even more so at Villa Park again because we're expected to take the game to the opposition and we attack quite a lot to be fair I mean, we, we look really good going forward under Emery it feels like we're going to score every time we come forward if you ask me um, but obviously it does leave gaps in behind um, 
And that's the thing you'll probably want to work on. I mean, conceding four goals at home, well, it's never good, is it? You, you know your defence had a bad day if you can see four mm. goals at home. I mean, you sit closer to the away end than I do, but have you ever seen so many Brazil flags? I was like, what's going on? Because yeah, I didn't realise yeah. they'd signed this new Tete fella, young Brazilian lad on loan from Shakhtar, but I've never seen so many like random flags in the away end. It was mad. Yeah, they were good, the Leicester fans, to be fair to Yeah, them. they I thought, were. I think uh, from the fans that have come to Villa Park this season. They were definitely up there. They were really loud, to be fair, all through the game. But no, you're right. It was it was it was it was a good away end, yeah, and so many Brazil flags. And he played well. He did that Tete. He caused us uh, he caused us a fair few issues, fair few issues, and he, he played really well. Yeah, he was lively, wasn't it? And what, what did you make of Leicester then? Because I I didn't think they were incredible. I thought they were fairly average. You know, they t- they were clinical when they had their moments when they capitalised on our mistakes. But I didn't think they were incredible. And I got a load of stick in my video for calling them pretty average team. I don't know. And I, like I said earlier, I was speaking to Leicester fans in the pub and they agreed so I don't know I didn't think they were incredible despite the fact them scoring four goals at our place I think they were really poor at the back I, I thought they looked really oh, yeah. really poor I thought we looked like again as I say I thought we looked like we were going to score every time we came forward they looked really really poor at the back for me um, even off set pieces they didn't look great at the back either uh, which is, has been their problem for this well this season and last season really Madison sort of gets them going doesn't he Leicester always better when James Madison plays he's there. he started well didn't he James Madison he was causing proper problems for us well he, he's their best player it's like it always it reminds me of like when Grealish was at Villa he's their standout player James Madison probably not to the point that Grealish was he's not he's not as good as Grealish but mm. um he he makes Leicester tick so when he doesn't play then Leicester have to play in a totally different way and so I thought they were decent I, I thought they were decent um I didn't think they were brilliant I I thought we really helped them out, obviously. I mean, we gave essentially three goals to them. And for them to come to Villa away from home, um, you know, when 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 we when we were in good form, it was a really good result for Leicester, to be fair. So I wouldn't I don't take anything away from them. I think yeah, we majorly helped them out with that win on Saturday, but fair play to them. It was a it was a really good three points for them. Yeah, it was, and fair play, like I said, they took their chances, but another day it's four four, it's five five because I thought the second half started just as frantic as the, as the first half. It was, you know, I think we had an early chance when uh, Tete and Ian Acho had chances for them as well that they couldn't take. So, like I said, another day, it's 5-5 and it's a draw. You get out of there and you say it's one of them games where everything went right for both sides and just goals, goals, goals went in. But it just didn't quite come out that way. And I think going forward, we were okay. I think Moreno made a difference coming on 100%. Coutinho as well. Then those two changes at half-time really proved difference. Moreno is just a different level going forward, isn't it? I think defensively, do you get much of an upgrade? Probably yet to be seen. He got a lot of space down that left-hand side. And so, yeah, I could see why he made that change, Emery. Um, defensively, I'm not sure he's massively an upgrade, but... Going forward, definitely. He's quicker than Dina. I think that's the key mm. thing. I think he's quicker. Um, and that's not me saying Dean is a bad player. I think he's a, he's a very good player. But I think going if you want someone going forward, then Mourinho is going to be your, gonna, gonna be your player. But I think you mentioned one word for me, which summed up the second half. And I feel like it played into Leicester's hands a little bit. We were too frantic for the whole of the second half for me. And it was that... I looked at the clock at one point. It was like we'd played 58 minutes and we were uh, free, we were free 2 down. And I thought, oh, this is fine. This is we, We've got over half an hour. This defence looks kind of shaky. We, we'll definitely get an equaliser here. And we had all the ball. And yet, for me, we wasted so much of it, though. I mean, like the shots from far outside the box. Like I just think of like Coutinho's one where he had so much time on the edge of the area. I think it was after like a corner. And he just blazed into the north stand. And it was like, just just stop being so frantic. And I think we were playing into their hands a little bit. We were just too... We were too panicky. We we rushed things and we didn't take our time on things. And the, the fans probably play a part in that. I think it, there was a bit of edginess around Villa Park at that point um, as we were pushing and fans were sort of 
moaning to get the ball into the box and stuff. But I just wish the players just took that extra care with the ball. And because we had so much time left, we had, like I say, at this point, we had over half an hour to go. Um, and I just felt like if we'd have just stuck to our task and sort of just slowed it down a little bit and really just tried to create some you know, some really good chances rather than the half chances we kept creating. I feel like we would have equalised in the end, but we got into this sort of, it felt like a bit like a basketball game again when we were just going for, you know, going absolutely mad at them and they were coming at us and we were going back at them. And I don't think it suits Villa when we like that, if I'm being honest. There was nothing really, really clear cut. We had that one where Watkins went through and he probably should have shot earlier. Mm. And then we had like a few pop shots from the edge of the area with Coutinho and a couple of other players. Kamara, I think, had one. It was the, it was the other sub for me, though, which I didn't quite get. I think... Pe- I mean, people have told me afterwards that he was he picked up a knock Ashley Young, but I didn't. I felt that sub sort of slowed us down a little bit when we put Cash on for Ashley Young. I thought I felt like it just slowed us down in terms of bringing the ball out from the back with Cash. I don't know what I don't know what it is, but he felt I don't know. He didn't feel like he was you know the, the Matty Cash that we know of old. I just felt like it it made us worse when he came on. If I'm being honest with you, yeah, Young did pick up a knock. I think he made a really really good tackle. I'm not I can't remember who it was on, but he made a good tackle. And he kind of, I'm not sure if it was his hamstring or his groin. But he, I think he tried to play on for a couple of minutes. You can tell he wasn't quite right. So it wasn't it wasn't a, a change, like a tactical change. It had to be done. But you're right, though. I, I've put this in the notes here. Cash, questionable. I'm not sure. I, like you said, I just can't can't put my finger on it. He's just not quite right. Is he Matty Cash? And whether it's a mental thing with him not you know, being a guaranteed starter because Ashley Young is playing so well, I don't know. I, I, I can kind of feel that new right back might be pending potentially I, I, I don't know if he's I don't know if he's technical enough Matty Cash that's the problem mm. he's very athletic and he, he'll get up and down the pitch quite well and he's a you know he's a fighter he'll, he'll, he'll get in amongst it but I'm not sure he's that technical though and, and I think for Emery I think he likes we, we can already see he quite likes his technical players doesn't he and I wouldn't be surprised if he's one that sacrificed in the summer to be honest with you to bring you know, I mean he'll, he'd, he'd have to be sold to get another right back in we couldn't just you know, go out and spend for another forty million on a right back, and then or whatever it would be, and then keep cash as well. He'd have to be, he'd have to be sacrificed, I suppose. But I wouldn't be surprised if he's a little bit of a casualty of 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 the summer. I wouldn't. I really wouldn't be surprised. I think we've always talked about his crossing, haven't we? That you know, we've talked about it ever since he's pretty much signed. It's never quite improved. Yeah, you're right. Technically, potentially an upgrade needed there. What did you make of the offside goal? I couldn't see it from where I was sat, but I've looked back on it and. Yeah, it's probably the right decision. But when you look at, for example, the Rashford one against Man City and you're thinking, right, that's counted. I don't know. Obviously, it takes a nick off the Leicester defender and you think, well, is that a new phase of play? I don't know. From with Taking my claret and blue tinted spectacles off, it's probably offside. But I don't know. Where's the consistency from there? I mean, sitting there in the North Stand, I thought I thought it was offside. I haven't watched. I haven't watched it back though. To be honest with you, I don't tend to watch. Um, don't tend to watch match of the day when, when we lose. To be honest, I don't like watching it when we lose. So I haven't. I haven't actually seen the goal back. But um, I did at the time. I did think. I did think it was offside. If I'm being honest. Yeah, Douglas Louise is is like what six feet offside. It's just that factor that it comes um, it's a big old deflection off that Leicester defender I think that's the talking point and like I said this, the decisions that are getting given for teams that play in red from Manchester I don't know bit of a difficult one but then short, shortly after that Leicester make it 4-2 and at that point it's game over isn't it it's again it's a ball over the top goes around the goalkeeper Dennis Pratt makes it 4-2 and Three out of the four goals are pretty massive errors. You could even argue all four of the goals are pretty big errors. Moreno that time and the game's gone, like I said. And 
I don't know. It's just frustrating. But again, you've got to write it off as simply just one of them games because another day you could get a, a big score draw there, but it just wasn't to be. Yeah, and that fourth goal, again, it wasn't great defending though before maybe Moreno made the error. I mean, the ball comes over the top and we were a little bit at sixes and sevens again. I think Mings was a bit out of position again because we were had that sort of high line again. Then Moreno, he was, try, he was trying to do a last ditch uh, like you know control or stop wasn't he and it just went wrong and obviously the goal went in and obviously you know they were just counter-attacking us at that point and so that just ended the game really but you're right I think on another day you know nine times out of ten you play that game again and it doesn't end up being the scoreline it is Villa probably end up winning the game but that's well, that's football for you you know at, at the end of the day we didn't defend great we made we made some really basic errors um and then we weren't as clinical as Leicester were. You know that turned out to be a win for Leicester in the end. And so, yeah, I, I don't, well, I don't think we could have many complaints. From being honest with you, I don't, I don't think we were terrible in the game. I don't. I, our defending left a lot to be desired at times, uh, but I don't think we were terrible. I mean, going forward, it's night and day compared to what it was before Emery. I mean, we're creating chances all the time. Uh, we need to be more clinical. That's what we need to be. I mean, you'd still expect to score two goals at home is enough to win you win you the game. Obviously, because we've our defending and our errors, it wasn't. But you still expect it to be. But obviously, if we were a little bit more clinical, we, we we could have scored four or five in that game. And I think he will be disappointed with that. And then because the game petered out, we you know we became a little bit petulant then. I think he went mad at one point. I noticed from my seat that um, I think there was one point with Douglas Louise and he sort of kicked the ball like away into the Trinity Road stand, and Emery was went absolutely mad at him, and he sort of bounced the ball in anger on the side of the pitch, and you saw that little sort of petulance coming into play. You know, we were sort of chasing the game, and I think he was getting old habit. Yeah, and he was getting, he was getting frustrated with his players for doing that. I think um, Brendan had done one of them earlier on in the game as well, and he got frustrated with him, and then Louise did it as well, and yeah, you could see he's frustrated. He wasn't happy. Emery was. I think I think his post match interview was sort of. He didn't come across as that annoyed, but he looked really annoyed from where I was sitting. When he was when he was walking off after the game as well, he looked really annoyed as he was heading towards that tunnel. Um, I think he tried to hide that in front of the cameras, if I'm being honest, but he wasn't happy with the players without a doubt. Well, hopefully he would have given them a bit of a bollocking after the game in the dressing room, despite the fact that he didn't look that annoyed in the post-match uh, interviews and stuff. What did you make of Duran? Because I know he only got 10 minutes. It's probably one of the one of the positives coming out of the game so I thought it was okay obviously it's only a 10 minutes early he had a few nice touches a powerful run down the right hand side a couple of runs down the right hand side one where he got absolutely clattered in front of the Leicester fans but I thought he looked right yeah I think two key things for me he looks really powerful well so yeah no three things he looks really powerful he looks really quick but also he looks good on his feet as well for a big lad which is quite rare I know he's I know we said it before about Benteke how good he was with his feet and uh, in the short cameo he had he looked very good with his feet I mean he laid off a couple of ones and mm. um yeah he, he just looked he looked like he's got good footwork and which is positive it was only a 10 minute cameo 15 whatever it was 15 minute cameo so you can't you can't judge too much from it but um, he looks bright and he looks bright and so yeah I'd, I'd, I can't wait to see more of him really yeah he found himself on the right hand side quite a bit didn't he I'm, I mean I left about two minutes three minutes before the end so I might not have seen it but it'd be nice to see what he can do in the box and when he gets a chance what he can do um, but yeah exciting times looks like a decent prospect again like we said pretty small sample size only 10 minutes but positive signs would you make any changes for Man City then what are you thinking obviously McGinn's getting back to fitness Ramsey's been quiet I think obviously got pulled at half time against Leicester I'm not sure I think maybe Moreno coming in especially away from home it's going to be a different game isn't it but 
Yeah. Any changes? Um, yeah, I think you might see Moreno come in. You, know, you could, well, I don't know. You could possibly see McGinn for Ramsey, possibly, but I think that's only a possible. I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't expect to see much. I think if there, if it was anything, it would just be those two, to be honest. But I don't think I don't think either of those two are guaranteed, to be honest. I, I don't think there's a lot. I don't think there's a lot we can change, to be honest. What do you make of Man City then? We'll talk about it briefly. What on earth is going on with them? You tweeted it. Probably nothing's going to happen. But if you're breaching FFP over a hundred times over the space of ten years. That's absolutely mental and it's disgusting. And I think their statement was a bit grim as well. Them saying, oh, we're surprised that we've been, you know, shut down for this and we welcome any investigation. It's just a bit patronising. I don't know, over 100 breaches. It's grim. Yeah, but that statement just showed that they don't really care because they know that they know that the, the final result will be nothing that majorly affects them. They'll get something like, they'll probably end up getting like a hefty fine and like a points deduction uh, suspended for the next five years or something like yeah. that. And if they breach something in the five years, that's when they'll get the points deduction. Obviously, they wouldn't in them five-year period. That It'll be something like that. There's absolutely no way that it'll be. Then They're not going to do that. To, the Premier League aren't going to do that to, to, to their top club, the club that brings in all this TV revenue, etc. It's not going to happen. You see all the sensational headlines could be expelled from the league. And they, <laughs> no could be, chance. they could be relegated. And you're like, what are you talking about? It's, not, it's never going to happen. And I think their statement just showed all that. They were like, what you want about you? You're yeah. not going to touch us, sort of thing. I'm not surprised in the slightest. I'm not surprised in the slightest. I mean, the money that they've spent over the years has been absolutely horrendous. It's been farcical. Okay, it's probably maybe slowed down in the last twelve months, but it's. I I I I always say to you is that with Man City, I don't think they identify targets to actually play in their team. With some of them, I genuinely think they sign players so other teams can't have them. Grealish, like like, Gre- like Grealish, do they really need a hundred million pound Jack Grealish? Really, Calvin Phillips, do they really need him? It was just to take him off other teams and to fill their like English quota. That's all it is. But the Premier League have allowed them to get away with it for all these years. And the thing is, though, it's, it dates back quite a long time. And in that time, Man City have now monopolised the league. Let's be honest. Okay, I know the second this year at the moment, but they've monopolised the league in terms of in terms of money and finance. I mean, you look at what they've been able to do at Man City with all with all the money that they spent. I mean, you go to the Etihad now, and it's totally totally different now they've got the obviously they're they've got, they've got the etihad and they've got that smaller stadium where where the academy and the women team play and then they've got the training ground next door to that as well and it's like all this like money and all this opulence that they've got has transformed them into like this sort of super club and it's like everyone's oh yeah they've done really well to do it. and it's like well have they though because if they broke over 100 rules then they haven't done it fairly then have they and this is the thing you see it's like cl- clubs think well what's the point how do you compete with that They've spent all this money. They haven't done it fairly, and they'll probably just get a slap on the wrist for it. And it's disgraceful, really. And you, but you look at the likes of like Chelsea now, and you think, you know, in a few years' time, is the same going to happen here? And you're looking like Italy, like Juventus, and like what what they do, and like how they, you know, uh, fraud the league as well. The only thing I say in Serie A, at least they actually give you a proper punishment in Italy. Yeah. Um, they 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 dock you points and stuff. But I don't see the Premier League doing it to Man City. I just can't see it. I'm afraid. Well, it happened with UEFA, didn't it, with Man City? I think it was in 2020 where they were originally going to give them a two-year European ban and, you know, fine them €13 million, I think it was. Obviously, the European ban got overturned and they got fined less than they were originally going to get fined. 
it'll probably be a similar situation here. They'll probably say, oh, you could potentially get, you know, suspended 30 points, but that won't happen. They'll probably get fined something stupid like 5 million quid and it'll be absolutely nothing on the owners. And it's grim. If you're if you're breaking 100 rules and it's made you this super club like you've touched on, buying all these players, spending 50 million on four different fullbacks, I remember a few years ago, it's just, it's just absolutely mental. And how they can get away with it is horrible. But you, but you know what will happen though? They'll hire the most expensive lawyers money can buy and then yep. and then they'll find some sort of legal loophole where they end up just getting like a slap on the wrists and it's a very sort of minor sort of sort of punishment. And that I can guarantee you that's what will happen. And it'll be swept under the carpet and nothing more will be said about it. That's that seems to happen in football anyway, with another yeah. Manchester United player. It's just if you've got if you've got money, you just throw money in the situation, nothing will happen. You won't get what you deserve. Exactly. Anyway, we'll talk about the football. Fancy us against uh, Man City then. I remember in the previous pod you talked about you potentially fancy us here away from home. City little bit shaky defensively. Dunno. I think it'll be a totally different game to Leicester. I don't know. I'd love it if we could go there and get something. Um, I, I, look, I think it's a really tough game. And, you know, normally nine times out of ten, if Man City play anywhere near that they can, they would beat us. Um, but you never know. You never know. I feel like we're quite suited to playing away from home. We're quite sort of, um, you know, set up to sort of not have the too much of the ball, which you won't get at Man City anyway. Um, and also, they're not playing. Very, they're not playing very well. And I think their team was baffling yesterday for me. Like he, the, the side he picked, Guardiola yesterday was was bizarre. Um, and so, I think you can get at them. I honestly think you can get at them. And I hope we do that. I hope we don't. You know, just okay. It's important to be. It's important to be resolute at the back away at City. It's important to be good off the ball. But I hope we use our chances wisely that we do get on the counter attack because we will get ch- we will get chances because they're not they're not brilliant at the back that's the thing with them um and so i'd like to think we can get something uh it's gonna be really tough and you know like i said nine times out of ten you will get beat there which is no shame to be honest but um i'd like to think we can put up a decent display and hopefully get something there yeah i'd like a bit of justice for the uh last day of last season as well still not over that it's one of the most mental away games i've ever been to and it was a weird occasion because it meant nothing for us, did it? Obviously, we I think we got confirmed 14th place that day. Obviously, Man City were going for the um, title with Liverpool. I think Wolves were at Liverpool that day and they went 1-0 up early. So the impetus was on Man City. We go 2-0 up and it's a party. Like like I said, we didn't really care about the result directly because of what it meant for Villa. We were waving European Cups around and it was a, base, it was a party atmosphere, wasn't it? And going 2-0 up, it was absolutely excellent in that away end. And then the three goals in five minutes, it was absolutely mental. And then and then pitch invading, punching Robin Olsen in the head, swinging on the crossbar and breaking their own goal, dancing in front of the away end. And I was just laughing because I was like, you're celebrating in front of us. Probably because we've just winded you up because of the European Cup stuff. But it was absolutely mental. I was just laughing. But that was one of the most wild away days ever that was. Yeah, it was such a shame how it happened in the end as well. I mean, I'd have loved to have gone there and been the team to, to stop them from doing it. And we were so close to doing it, apart from a just a mad, mad final 15 minutes that we had. I was gutted that day, really. I was really gutted because, yeah, I, the thing is, like, I don't mind, like, the old school Man City fans, you know, the ones from used to be at Main Road and, you know, the traditional football club that Manchester City used to be, you know. They used to have a real hardcore, I'm not saying they haven't anymore, these fans are probably still there, but a hardcore supporters they used to go to Main Road and used to be like that, you know, that tough-to-beat sort of team at Main Road, made a really good atmosphere for you and, I mean, that that club's not the same club anymore. It's genuinely not the same club. And um, I just hate what they've done. I just hate it, if I'm being honest with you. And I know everyone spends money in football, but not to that extent. They've just gone wild. And it, it makes, still makes me laugh now that they still haven't been able to win the Champions League, even with all the money and all the players that they've got and supposedly the best coach in the world. And 
I just, it still makes me laugh. They still haven't been able to win the Champions League. Maybe this year is the year for them. And to be honest with you, I think it has to be. I think it's a disgrace if they don't win, win the Champions League with the players that they've got. And now they've got Haaland, who's not even human up front. I, I think it's mad if they don't win the Champions League, if I'm being honest with you. Um, but yeah, I just, there's, there's, I've just got a dislike of them because of, I just think it's because of how they've done it. Some people probably say that's a hint of jealousy. And I don't know, maybe it is, maybe it is a little bit. But I just look at everything that they stand for and I just think, that could never be my club. I'd, I absolutely hate it. I with all this touristy stuff, and you know, well, we've been there, haven't we? And we've seen it all, like around the ground, and it just just all feels very like plastic, and like not a lot really matters anymore. And I think that that showed that day when we came out of the Etihad that day, and they won the league. We were going back to the coach, and there was Man City fans like outside already on the streets, and the play the fans well, we saw it in the League Cup final, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, and the fans and the fans at that point, the fans hadn't even got off the pitch, and they hadn't even <laughs> set up the trophy winning finger or anything because they were off home, and it was like. You've just won the league. You've won the league. I mean, 2 0 down to Villa on the final day of the season. Why on earth would you be outside the ground already? And there wasn't like one or two of them. It was like hundreds of them as well. That just baffled me. And I think it just sums up the type of club they are. And yeah, might be a little bit of jealousy, but there we go. I hope we go there and absolutely smash them, to be honest. <laughs> That'd be nice. Yeah, you're right there. There is like a core fan base, isn't there, of Man City fans that have been there for ages and ages and ages, obviously. But I went there against uh, Dortmund this season in the group stages of the Champions League. And it's just, it's just horrible. Like, yeah, you're winning every week and it's great. And you can you have the pleasure of watching some brilliant players. But it's just not football, is it? And like, yeah, you're great. Like I said, great players. You're winning loads of stuff. But evidently, you don't care. Like, leaving on the final whistle, leaving before the final whistle. I don't know. I don't want to t- t- turn this into a Man City podcast, but that's just our thoughts on them. And like you said, hope we go there at the weekend and absolutely do them. But before that, quick mention, we're going to Milan on Friday, aren't we? Bit of a European trip. Going to the San Siro before it's knocked down next year. Should be a good one, that. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it will be a good one. Wanted to tick off the San Siro for a while. And so with the upcoming, well, they're going to knock it down at some point in the next few years. And so we just thought, yeah, it was a good opportunity. So it's going to be a bit of a, a hectic weekend, really, starting early hours of the morning on Friday morning, flying off to Milan. And then there's the Milan versus Torino Friday night. And then we were then back in the UK Saturday night, ready to go to Man City Sunday morning. So it's going to be a, it's going to be a bit of a, a mad weekend. It's going to be a bit of a tired one, I think. But uh, now it'll be good. Looking forward to it. Um, San Siro, iconic ground, isn't it? I think for me growing up, um, yeah, they're not. Sort of, I'm like a 90s sort of child, and it's like the San Siro is one of them. One of them stadiums. It was on like the old FIFA 98, and you're the all the really like, old FIFAs, and it was just that iconic stadium. And so apparently, it's not in a great state anymore. Apparently, apart from what I've heard. But yeah, I, I was I watched a little bit of the Milan derby last night, the Inter AC derby, and it just looked mad. The San Siro did it, but won't be as mad as that when we go because they're playing Torino. But also, AC Milan aren't in great form either. They got absolutely battered last weekend um, as by like Sassuolo or something as well. So it could be an interesting one actually. I wouldn't be surprised if AC Milan got beat. So, but now looking forward to it. It should be uh, should be a really good one. Yep, it's going to be a busy weekend and there will be a video on the Villa on Tour YouTube channel of our trip to Milan and then obviously the trip to Man City. So keep an eye out for that. Without further ado, any final words, Si, or are we going to wrap it up there? No, I think we'll wrap it up there. Let's just uh, let's just hope we can, I don't know, pull a performance out from somewhere on Sunday and I'll take a point now if you ask me. Um, let's, let's just try and get the... Emery bandwagon back on back on back on the road really um yeah one defeat but still positive still still going in the right direction and that's the main thing really 
yeah, no pressure on us at the weekend. It's just going to be a good one. Looking forward to it. Another way day on the coach. Without further ado, thank you very much for listening to this podcast. Appreciate the support as always. Please do subscribe on whatever podcast app you are listening to so you never miss an episode. Without further ado, I shall see you very soon. Up the villa. <laughs>